Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Great. Um, Well, thanks, everybody, for having me on today and for having this event. Seems like a good way to start the year. Um, I've attended this uh, phone meeting a couple of times in the past. I'm not a regular attender, but I've been on, and it seems to provide a great service to a lot of our members. Uh, and I definitely know a lot of sponsees and others who attend fairly regularly. And um, so, thank you all for your service. Um, it may be it may become a theme over the course of my thoughts and comments today, but um, I'm always reminded of the fact that the essence of 12-step recovery program is intense work with other sexaholics, and um, that's just, that's how AA started, and that's how the original AA guys got recovery, and um, I find myself, my the barometer of my Recovery seems to be very much in sync with and correlate to the degree to which I am willing to and able to work intensively with other sexaholics. And so having a meeting like this that's available on a daily basis for people all over the world to sync up and connect with others and serve and um, participate in the fellowship is a blessing to many people in that recovery, I'm sure. Um, so let's see, first, I guess just to introduce myself, I mean, um, pretty much anything other than my recovery story is an outside issue in, re- in terms of sexaholism. So I'm Jonathan, and I am a recovering sexaholic, uh, and, <clears throat> um, you know, my story is a little bit of what it was like, what happened and what it's like now, um, for me, um, I don't know exactly when the obsession with sex started, but it was very early on in my life. I mean, early, early, somehow, um, two, three, four years old, um, and uh, progressed over the course of my life um, uh, as a, um, you know, fairly early on, I discovered masturbation and um, didn't know what it was. Um, I had my dad pull me aside at some point when I was 11 or 12 to have the talk with me, explain to me what masturbation was and say that we don't do that. And, um, I was like, okay, cool. Just won't do that anymore. And that didn't, 
that didn't happen. Uh, so it turned out not to be as easy. I was obviously clearly hooked at that point already um, and before I even really knew what was going on. Uh, I remember having intense sensations of curiosity about the female form. Um, I remember um, having a lot of insomnia as a child and um, feeling like I just had a hard time sleeping and I would get up and uh, there was a window right next to my bed. I was on a second floor and I could look out across the street and see the neighbor's lights on and remember looking out across and hoping that you know, one of the neighbors would be walking around naked in their bedroom or something. And um, I remember even getting naked and sort of trying to stand in my window, hoping someone would see me, you know, this kind of idea of wanting to be seen. Um, I had incessant fantasies about girls that I knew at school that, you know, fantasies of um, seeing them naked or that I could stop time somehow and, um, you know, have everybody frozen to go around and undress people and um, these sort of very intense fantasies like this. Um, and, you know, a lot of these things that I talk about now when I tell my story, I, I really didn't, if you, had, if you had asked me to tell my story when I first came in about, about five and a half years ago, um, I, I don't know if I would have told these parts of the story, not because I was ashamed, ashamed of them necessarily, just because I don't think it really registered to me that it was part of the disease. It was all part of the disease somehow. Um, because when I came in, I really felt like um, I had essentially a pornography and occasional masturbation problem that I just couldn't quite lick, that I essentially had everything under control. But there was this like occasional every, say, month to three months pornography binge and masturbation that would happen that was getting in the way of relationships with my wife and um, that like, if I could just get this one thing kind of dealt with, um, I'd be good. And so I, <clears throat> I don't know if I would, have, I would have acknowledged all of these. Since then, I've been able to really see the pervasiveness of lust in my life, particularly, well, in my life. I'll leave it at that. And um, so I don't know if I would have necessarily identified those other behaviors. But I've, I've now, you know, have a list of ways that, you know, lust manifests itself in large ways in my life and includes things like voyeurism, which I never would have said, hey, you're a voyeur. Well, you know, when you're looking through your window in your bedroom at night through the neighbor's window across the street, that's called voyeurism. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, exhibitionism, again, like I sort of, well, I'm not like a guy sort of at the park, you know, with a raincoat or whatever, but yeah, but I, you know, would routinely sort of attempt to expose myself in my window or um, there were times when I was a teenager that I would purposely sort of let my shorts fall open because I wanted people to, I wanted girls, specific girls, a specific girl, to see me and lust after me. I mean, that's just, a, that's um, our um, exhibitionism, you know. And so um, I started to put words to some of these behaviors and realize that these are absolute manifestations of um, the lust component in my life. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, masturbation was chronic, pornography use was chronic, uh, very secretive in both cases, chronic and secretive, um, <clears throat> and did not represent on the outside what was going on on the inside for sure. Um, got married, um, thought marriage was going to solve the problem, 
um, marriage didn't solve the problem. Um, sex in marriage was very problematic um, from from day one, um, and uh, I quickly went back to pornography. Uh, at that point, internet pornography was available, and you know that fueled at turbo speed um, the disease. Um, Fifteen years ago, I had an extramarital affair, uh, and that caused it was with a couple, a woman and a couple that we were very close with, my wife and I, and it um, caused a lot of damage to both families. It was very dramatic, traumatic, and um, that carried on and off to, for about 18 months, something like that, and then was over. And, you know, my first rock-bottom moment was really in relationship to that affair when I realized that my ego and self-will and trying to force this thing to happen because in my mind it seemed perfectly reasonable that this woman and me that we were going to this woman and I that we were going to run off together and that somehow everything was going to work out great and it was, a, it was a manifestation of sheer fantasy and you know sheer in violation of reality and the facts um, but it came became very clear to me that it was my manifestation of ego that was causing such misery to me and to so many people around me and I remember for the very first time just lying on my back in the middle of an empty conference room at the place where I worked when I had just been talking to this woman on the phone that I'd been having an affair with and she had been crying. And I just realized that everybody involved was miserable, including me. And I, 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 I said essentially these words to God. I said, I can't possibly see any way that this could ever work out. I can't see any way that we, that doing it your way will ever work. Like, my wife's never going to take me back. You know, I'm never going to be happy without this other woman. It, but that's never going to happen, and I have no idea how it's going to work. But I'm willing to try because I don't know what else to do. And so that was, to me, my first rock bottom moment. The first time I really just said, hey, I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to stop driving the bus, and I'm going to let my higher power, a higher power who I call God, drive the bus. And a lot of progress happened. You know, my wife and I are still together. Um, I haven't spoken with that other woman for, you know, 15 years. Um, I hope her life is going well. It's not appropriate for me to know anything about it. Um, I have made amends to her husband um, by a letter um, and got a quick note back from him, so I'm aware that, he, that they exist. But, um, so, I mean, progress is made. For me, the second rock bottom was really about probably five and a half years ago, right before I came into the fellowship, and I was still having chronic pornography and masturbation type problems. And, um, you know, my wife just, after like the 12th time of me uh, revealing to her that I was still having problems with this, just sat me down and made it very clear that this was a deal breaker in the marriage and I needed to get it figured out. And I knew at that point that I was utterly powerless. I knew that there was nothing I could do um, on my own. I had really tried everything that I could possibly try. You know, I had tried only masturbation, only pornography, um, somehow bringing my wife. There was a period of time where we experienced having my wife involved in it somehow. Like if we were doing it together, it was going to be okay. You know, that was going to work out, but that didn't ever work out for me. Um, any number of other things that I could come up with to, to make this, lust lifestyle work I had tried um, and it's reminiscent to me of um, 
the passage in the big book. I've got it here. Um, it's the great obsession about of every alcoholic to may one day control and enjoy his drinking. Um, heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever, with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums, we can increase the list ad infinitum. And I mean, that was really me. I had, I had tried everything. I tried every combination of things um, and had become convinced that there was nothing I was going to be able to do to make this work. And so when my wife gave me the ultimatum, I had to do something. So I <clears throat> decided that I would see a therapist who uh, specialized in um, sexual addiction issues. And I had maybe two or three sessions with this fellow. And, um, you know, I was just hoping I could get this thing done privately and, and kind of just get it dealt with. And we talked about stuff. And about probably the third session, um, I just had to confide in him. I just said, um, you know, this is all good, but, and it's interesting, the stuff that we're talking about, but I just don't believe, like, I'm like, it takes me three to five minutes to act out beginning to end. Like, you know, the last time I acted out, May 24th, 2013, uh, I, I, my wife was sitting downstairs. We had had some sort of a minor disagreement, but obviously my resentment had been building up over probably weeks. And we were getting ready to leave on a trip the next day. And so I had a little bit of stress about that. And so she stayed downstairs to watch a little bit of television. I came up to bed. I was feeling irritated and almost on a whim, grabbed my little tablet, turned it on, went to a page that I knew had pornography, masturbated, was done. I mean, it was a matter of three to five minutes max. And I said to the therapist, I'm like, I could be abstinent for a year, two years, three years, five years, 18 years. And that's all it takes for me just to be gone. Like, it's all gone. You know, three, three minutes of time, one lapse of judgment. And so basically you're telling me I have to keep, you know, my willpower up and my judgment up and my, you know, defenses up continuously for the rest of my life. And that's the only way I'm going to be able to do this. And he said to me, he said, well, and he gave me a list of essay meetings. <laughs> and he said, um, no, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> and he said, um, what I think will work is I really encourage you between now and our next session to go attend one of these meetings. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting choked up here a little bit. <laughs> because he said, um, <clears throat> there's no way you're going to do it on your own. You're going to need a fellowship of people that have 
similar issues that understand what you're going through, that can see through your BS, and um, where you can get a sponsor. And um, he said, you know, I've been working with people a long time. He said, I've never seen anybody be successful who didn't join a fellowship. And I've never seen anybody be successful who tried to do it on their own, except for one guy, but I think he's a liar. That's what he told me. So it was about the last thing I wanted to do was go to an essay meeting um, because that was just that was a sign that this was like a real deal. And um, <clears throat> so I, but I went. I just I had made the decision that I couldn't do it, that I needed to just shut up and do what I was told. So I got the list of meetings and I showed up at a meeting. And um, my life completely changed at that point. And now for me, um, recovery is a real thing. And it's something that happens one day at a time. It's not something I have to solve all at once. I don't have to be sober 18 years today. I just have to be sober today. And before, um, I only had one solution to all my problems. That was why it seemed so improbable that I could be sober my entire life, or absent, I'll use the word absent, that I could be the word absent my entire life when I was talking to my therapist. Because I only had one solution to my problems, and that was lust. He was basically saying, okay, live your life without any solution to your problems. Um, because, you know, that, that was, that was the, the abyss I was looking down. And um, when I came into essay and learned about the 12 steps, <clears throat> I learned about an alternative option I have for dealing with my life that is not lust. And for that, I will be forever grateful. So um, that's kind of my story. And, you know, the importance of telling stories for me is hopefully some of the things I said relate to some people that are listening today. Um, and some of the things I say hopefully are things that qualify me as a speaker on the meeting here today um, because, because I'm in the same boat with some other people. And um, that's why I think it's so important to tell our stories. So the topic I kind of picked today um, to cover is um, the topic of uh, sobriety being a requirement for recovery. And the reason I picked that topic is because um, my home meeting here in Salt Lake City, um, our group name is Sobriety First, and um, we take that name, that's, that's, you know, I believe firmly that each essay group, it, our sole responsibility in the, essay, in the essay group is to carry our message to other psychologists, and um, I had a fellow ask me once, okay, well, what's your group's message? What's the message your group is carrying? And I felt like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what our group what our message is. So, so we adopted a we we adopted a message, and it's sobriety first um, in our in our media in our group. Um, the the message that we're carrying is a message that sobriety needs to precede recovery, and it comes from page uh, 64 in the white book. I'll just read the passage. This is in the section called "Getting Started," and um, so page 64, it's. At the bottom, under the heading, we stop. It says, we stop practicing our compulsion in all its forms. 
we can't be, quote, sober in one area while acting out in another. There can be no relief from the obsession of lust while still practicing the acts of lust in any form. And um, it goes on, we stop feeding lust, we get rid of all the materials and other triggers under our control, we stop feeding lust through the eyes, the fantasy, the memory, we stop relishing the language of lust, resentment, and rage, we stop living only and always inside our own heads. One of the fringe benefits of going to a lot of meetings is that it gets us out of ourselves. Um, Further on in the book, if you if you want, if people are turning to the page, I don't know if you are or not, but um, back in the eighteen wheeler, um, eighteen wheeler is a um, nickname for the section called "Overcoming Lust and Temptation." It starts on page one fifty seven, and um, sometimes we call it the eighteen wheeler because there are eighteen points in that section. Uh, but on page 158, the first, the first thing, <laughs> how I overcame my obsession with lust, the very first thing, stop practicing the compulsion. I stopped acting out sexually in any and all forms, including sex with myself and non-marital relationships. There could be no relief from the obsession of lust while still practicing the acts of lust. Um, and keep in mind that, that word, the obsession, because um, I'll touch on that in just a second. But it, uh, the, first, the first reading we did also talked about no free, there could be no freedom from the obsession while practicing the acts. So keep that in mind. Um, I think it's interesting that um, jump, jumping back to page 64, the section there, that chapter, getting started, if I just kind of look at the chapter, if I just look at the section headings, it starts to kind of tell a little bit of a story of a, of a, of a journey of what recovery would look like. Um, and I have, what, John, another maybe five, ten minutes? How much time do I have? Uh, yes, uh, I would say five, ten. We'd like to give everybody some time. So, um, uh-huh. so it, good. Yeah, five, ten minutes is fine. No okay, problem. great. <laughs> So as we go through this section here, um, talk about step zero. I'm just looking at the headings, getting started, step zero. Step zero is just showing up to meetings, but, butts and seats. I'm just showing up to meetings. I'm not convinced potentially that this is going to work. I don't necessarily believe I'm a sexaholic. Um, I just feel like there's something wrong in my life, and I'm willing to give this thing a shot, and I'm willing to show up and put my butt in a chair. And that's step zero. Um, but at some point, I realize that there may be something here and I want to start down a path of recovery and the very next step is stopping, just stopping the activities Um, and then getting involved. And I think this is something that gets underemphasized sometimes, it's getting involved. Um, I got involved very early on um, and was started getting involved in service um, positions early on. you know, sponsored fairly early on. Um, my sponsor had me sponsoring about the time I was done with my first three or four big amends in step nine, and that would have been 
probably at about six to seven months of sobriety. <clears throat> um, I had my first guy that I was sponsoring, and uh, that made a huge difference. So this getting involved part, like I can't, I, re- I can't overemphasize it for my own recovery. I, I go back to what I said at the beginning that um, intense, intense working with other sexaholics is what makes a difference for me. And then after that, it says surrender, 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 basically. Um, and then comes on page 69, reprieve. Uh, and, you know, in the big book, on page, this is in the chapter into action, this is on page 85. This is after step nine, and it's in the step 10 section. Um, it talks about, and again, notice how this tracks with my own story a little bit. I started doing some sponsoring. I had just kind of completed the big parts of step nine. I was still working on step nine. I was definitely doing a daily step 10 uh, practice and step 11 practice at that point. And the step nine promises were starting to become manifest in my life. Um, and then it says, uh, 85 we feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. This is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Uh, and then further down it says, we are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So that word reprieve, and then we see it there in the white book, reprieve. And then this is the part I want to get to because I think it's the most important part. This next section is entitled, We Get a Glimpse of Ourselves. And for me, I feel like that's, that's the point at which recovery could begin in my life. Um, you know, when I came into the fellowship, I felt like my problem was essentially pornography and possibly masturbation. I wasn't convinced. But definitely chronic pornography consumption because that was a thing that was – causing problems in my marriage. So I thought that was, that was the deal. Like I was coming to SA to solve my pornography problem. And as I sat in meetings and started to work a program and started to talk to people on a regular basis, it was like the big switcheroo happened. And all of a sudden it wasn't pornography. It was a thing called lust. And it was so much bigger. And it was so much more pervasive in my life than I'd ever suspected. It was such a huge eye-opener. Um, and now I'm like, okay, well, so what, what this is all about, the problem I have is lust. That's the problem, you know, and that's the thing I'm going to have to try and solve. Um, eventually, as I work through these processes, you know, that we were just read about in the white book, going through this series of, of um, sort of transformations, I, I came to the end and I saw myself and I realized that the problem is me, that I'm the problem. <laughs> that my way of interacting with other people in the world and with God is the thing that's fueling all of this discomfort, this resentment, this fear, um, these angers, this egoism, and that that discomfort that comes from me essentially bashing my head against reality constantly is the thing that drives me to what is in fact my solution, which is lust. And that there is a, a, a... there is an alternative, and the alternative is working the 12 steps and actively participating in the Fellowship of Sexaholics Anonymous. And that what that does is allow me to change myself and everything about myself will change over time. 
as long as I'm willing to let it go, um, I will become a different person. And I think that's what the definition of recovery is for me. And none of that is possible until I can break through, you know, I can stop at practicing my compulsion in all of its forms um, <clears throat> and uh, kind of put myself in a position to be able to actually see myself as I really am. So I guess that's my main message. Um, maybe I'll just add one quick postscript and then I'll stop and we can do questions or whatever. Um, let's see, what is the postscript? I have one last thing I wanted to mention on this. Um, oh yes, okay. So this is a, a sort of a realization that I've had recently and this is, so when I, when I started in SA, you know, I was doing a lot of service, I was doing a lot of things and my sponsor, my sponsor, he tells me now, he told me this just to keep my, to keep my head, my head the right size. Um, but I, I, I still, I still quote him a lot because he told me, he said, you know what, don't let your head get too big for you. You're still a newbie in SA until you're at least five years sober. So, um, this is coming from a guy who's just barely not a newbie, <laughs> right? Uh, and um, but what I'm learning in my, you know, uh, fifth year of sobriety um, is that it's kind of hard sometimes for me. It's a little tough, honestly. Uh, I I'm struggling a little bit with what, what like at the beginning I had a really clear set of goals and a clear set of things to do, and you know it was work the steps and it was get sponsees and um, have, have a sponsor, get sponsees, do service. I've done most of the service positions in our area. I've worked the steps five times. I'm starting on round number six. I'm, I'm sort of getting to the spot right now where I, I've been struggling this year a little bit with just what does my program look like? Like what, what is it supposed to look like? What am I supposed to be doing, you know? And like I've read the books many, many times and the passages aren't as powerful to me anymore because I've read them so many times um, as they were the first, you know, 12 times I read them. And, but I've had this real epiphany at the end of this year in the last couple of weeks. And, and that is this. Um, and it's something that my sponsor and I have talked about as well. Um, and it's something I'm going to be really focusing on in 2019. Sexaholism is a chronic progressive disease. And what that means is that it's never going away for me and that it's progressing even when I'm in recovery. And, you know, an example of that is the man of 30 story in the big book. Um, and if you want to look that up, you can look that up. I won't refer to it now. But the idea that my disease is progressing while I'm in recovery um, has hit, hit home to me over the last month or so. Because cunning, baffling, powerful lust, I will find myself attacked by fantasies and um, impulses to think about things or to do things that was never a part of my acting out routine before, um, but as an escalation. And it makes me terrified of what it would look like to go back out. And so I can see that the disease is progressing. On the other hand, I now have a really, really strong appreciation for what we talk about in our sobriety definition, having progressive victory over lust. It is an essential aspect of the recovery program for me. I have to have progressive victory because the disease is progressing. And if I don't have progressive victory and I don't figure out how to take it to a new level, I'm going to be in trouble. And that's going to be my big goal in um, 2019. And I'll cap that with just a little, uh, just a little section from uh, this is this is recovery continues. This is one of our comforts of pieces of comfort approved literature. Um, some essays from Roy Kay, and um, 
uh, page 76, he has a whole list of obstacles to recovery. This is something I've been pondering and meditating on the last bit. But one of them is uh, hanging on to one or more forms of overt sexual expression and no progress and victory over lust. Two obstacles to recovery that definitely uh, apply to me that I need to look at. Um, <clears throat> he, he gives a great little uh, um, metaphor here uh, or object lesson, I don't know. He basically says, if one were invisibly perched on our shoulder for a while, one would come to see the real addiction in action. So as I ask that question of, hey, if someone were to sing on my shoulder and and could see into my brain, you know, at every moment of the day over the last couple of weeks, what would they see? And I have to acknowledge, they would see lust still active in my life. And that means that there's still room for me to have progressive victory over lust, which I have to have um, if I want to continue enjoying the benefits of recovery in my life. Um, so I guess that's what I have to share with today. Hopefully that was helpful. I'll be happy to, whatever the next part is, I'll be happy to participate. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jonathan, so much. Yes, <laughs> being a newbie, that is a good thing to think about, that's for sure, and the progressive nature of our disease. Uh, so I would like to thank Jonathan again uh, for his uh, speakership today, taking on that uh, role for us today, and his uh, share. And um, now we're open up to questions, and uh, whoever would like to go first, uh, the floor is open. Hi, this is uh, Daniel. Could I, could I share? Uh, yes, please, go ahead. Okay, thanks. So, uh, so hi, this is Daniel in Israel, a great for coming. Thanks, Alec. Um, Jonathan, I want to really thank you for your share, um, kind of shook me for 10, well, whatever it, whatever the phrase is, um, very much. Uh, even though uh, it came out in different ways, I felt like you were sharing my story in many ways. Um, a, a lot of the, the things that you shared at the beginning uh, were things that I went through in my life. And um, and likewise, the, 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 the way you, you were brought to rock bottom was very similar to mine. And... Uh, um, Really, 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 really uh, powerful share, and I, I really appreciate it. Uh, for, for me, um, the key to my program is literally those two key components of working with others and not practicing the uh, the compulsion to love. And those two things basically keep me sober on a daily basis. And um, so, yeah, I really relate to this share, and hopefully it's okay if I can get your phone number from... Uh, Dennis or Harvey afterwards and be in touch with you. I, I really relate it and I really appreciate it. And thank you for your share. And I'll, I'll pass with that. Thank you. Well, thank you, Daniel. And who would like to be our next share? This is Gustavo. I'm a sexaholic in California. Hi, Gustavo. Please go ahead. Thank you for your leadership, Jonathan. What a powerful share, and uh, you know, tracking all along your your share. Uh, that it was my story, and um, and I thought, wow, you know, that's me, that's me, that's me, and, and I kept saying, saying to myself, well, you know, why then am I not, you know, why then am I not, uh, you know, progressing as I think that I should, and. Um, the answer to that question, I know, because uh, lately um, it's been just disclosed to me by by God 
how huge my ego is and from the very beginning and you know i tried so many things i tried this program that program tried a psychologist who told me oh you just have to live with a psychiatrist told me yeah just get a mistress uh and and uh, different uh, online programs um and tried to um, trick myself into sobriety and all kinds of stuff and and of course praying to god praying that the miracle would come and that all of a sudden i just wouldn't lust anymore um and or well i would just stop pornography i didn't know so much about lust i just that i would stop pornography and and um so when i finally was I had no other option left. It was the last top, last house on the block, the program, and and uh, um, and I realized and have come to realize that is my ego, and um, so what I had to do and still have to do um, periodically is just learn to sit down, we shut up, listen, and and learn. Where would we like to go? And so um, with that, I will, I will finish. Thank you. Thanks, Gustavo. Okay, and who would like to be next? Hi, John. It's Angie in Missouri. Hi, Angie. Uh, go ahead, please. Yeah, thanks for a great New Year's Day, everyone. I think the thing that really stuck out to me and kind of where I'm at right now is uh, the idea of this progression, even though I'm in recovery. And the thing that kind of, if, if, if I'm being completely rigorously honest, which I know that is how I want to work my program, when I heard you say about the little bird on the shoulder, and the little bird really knows what's going through my head. Oh my gosh, that's just like what I needed to hear because my addict can still go into denial and say, oh, that's really not lusting. And it may not be sexual lusting. It could be uh, who knows what's going on at the moment. But um, the thing that I really want to have uh, worked towards this year is um, my principles about personalities and what that looks like for me is each month I would like to strongly work those principles so January is honesty so today's the first day for honesty and it's not so much um, being honest to others but it's being honest to myself because I'm a good salesperson to myself the thing that I still struggle with the most is when I have a distraction come between me and my higher power and through today's uh, talks, you know, I'm, I'm listening to things that I need to do on a daily basis. I may say that I do them, and I may do them briefly, but I'm not doing them to the level that I need to do them. So I'm thankful for all the reminders, and I'm thankful to know that, um, you know, it is sneaky, cunning, and baffling, and it will try and tempt me in so many ways to uh, get off course. So thank you for your share today, and I'll pass to the next caller. Thank you, Angie. Um, Jonathan, any comments or thoughts from our first three shares? 
Uh, no, well, thank you. I appreciate everyone uh, sharing, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have to. Just I'm like, just, yeah. just giving no, you a chance. Sure. <laughs> well, uh, no, I mean, I guess the one comment I would make, um, perhaps, uh, you know, obviously many people relate. We, I mean, it, we tend to relate to our own stories, and I have found that to be true as well. Um, also, in terms of, um, you know, the, some of the stuff that I talked about, a lot of it's in our materials. Um, so particularly, I would encourage people, um, if you're at a point in your in your recovery program where you are ready to look at what the next level looks like, um, I would just encourage taking a peek at Recovery Continues. Um, that's where the, the idea of the person sitting on the shoulder comes from and you know, there's just a lot more in there about that. And, um, you know, so that, that, that I just, I guess I would just cite the reference. I'll say that. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, well, um, let me just take a moment to ask if there's anyone new to SA uh, or to the noon meeting that we usually have at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, anybody like to uh, share at this time or ask questions of Jonathan? Okay, well, we have about uh, 10 minutes left, so uh, it's open to anyone now who would like to uh, share or ask Jonathan any questions. And uh, so who would like to go next? Hey, it's Debbie in Hawaii. Can I go ahead and share? Yeah, yes, Debbie, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I, I really could resonate with your story. Um, even I'm a woman, it's the, it's the same, you know, disease, the sex addict and the... Um, bird on the shoulder. I've read that before, but it really didn't hit home until, you know, we talk about different forms of lust. And I know that um, being in recovery, I always think, oh, you know, I've got this, God's got this, we're moving forward. And it's New Year's Eve. And New Year's Eve last night was, <clears throat> was great. It was, you know, with the family, it was with the boyfriend, it was, but it was trigger, 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 trigger. Um, just the, the relationship addict in me just the lust of that relationship just went into overdrive. So to hear this, the 18th wheeler, and, you know, to hear your story um, really helped it bring into a perspective that, okay, it's, uh, it's time to rein it back in. And, you know, um, I sat with my devotions this morning with God, and I was like, you know, I, I just need to continue to give this up to you. It is, they said, it's cunning, it's baffling, it just sneaks in. You know, and even when you're having a great time, it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> is this normal? To have a great time so you know your head kind of goes the committee starts going wild in there and um so i appreciate hearing everything you had to say about your story and i was just like oh that's me that's me that's me and um and i just know that this is a a road that um of happy destiny but it's also a road that if if i even stop for a moment um and um, and stumble or a moment thinking oh you know i, I can do this or that and the relationship addicts or less addicts inside me won't come out because trust me it comes out and by the grace of god it's uh it's being sucked back in there again and um so i thank you thank you so much for your share today and, and thank you for allowing me to share and um happy new year everybody well thank you debbie and uh who would like to be next Hey, John, this is Dennis. I'd like to go next. Sure, Dennis, go ahead. Yeah, Jonathan, thank you so much. I, I loved your story, especially when you emphasize 
the service work early on and how beneficial that was. That was my story as well, that absolutely the service work, and I've often heard uh, no sponsor, no steps, no service, no chance. And that was the order in which I did my program, and my sponsor had me start doing service work very early. Um, I just was just filled with joy and emotion and love for you um, when you really talked about and went into tears in your share about finding this program and what that meant and what that looked like. And it was it was really a great share. Um, I was in the background clapping. <laughs> you couldn't see it, but thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Hey, this is Benjamin in Arkansas. Can I share? Sounds good. Yes, please go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah. So, Jonathan, really appreciates your story. It resonates very much with me as well. Um, the emphasis on service is uh, it was really something that I needed to hear. I've been uh, in the program for about two years. I have been sober for about 65 days and um, had a longer period of sobriety and recently relapsed after um, separating from my wife due to work reasons, not for sex addiction reasons. And it was, you know, it's been a huge problem for me when we did that. Um, I'm just realizing, you know, yes, I have a sponsor. Yes, I'm working the steps, but there's virtually nothing I'm doing of service. And, um, you know, I think my wife is looking for more action for me to to show that I'm really committed to recovery and to fixing our relationship. And, and so um, I just really appreciate you sharing this morning. That's very much what I needed to hear. Thank you. Thank you, Benjamin. Anyone else? Bob Sixall, I can you talk? Hi, Bob. Uh, go ahead, please. I uh, really appreciate you sharing with us today, Jonathan. Uh, um, know Jonathan very well, <laughs> and uh, I I see he's very serious about recovery. And he's uh, gone through a lot of hard things in the last year or so, and he still remains sober. And uh, I don't know if I could have done that because I don't know if I'm that serious. But um, that's that's something he uh, is very serious about recovery. And this this disease is progressive, and uh, um, I really like that part of his share. Um, that we have to be on it. Um, we can't slack off. We have to be on it. We have to be serving. We have to be sponsoring, helping others. So thanks for being here, man. Thanks, thanks Bob. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for volunteering me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's how this happened. <laughs> Bob, Bob's my sponsee, and, and sometimes your sponsee volunteers you too. <laughs> hey, you can learn from everybody. 
Well, that's good to hear. I'm still your quad piece. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyone else like to uh, share or ask Jonathan a question? Scott Sick Pollock in Utah. Hey, uh, go ahead. Yeah, thanks for your share, Jonathan. Um, so, I my question is, you know, you mentioned a lot of great uh, things to do to uh, get sober and work recovery and service and things. Um, but I'm I'm curious what how you see kind of the balance between, you know, your own efforts in your recovery and what God's doing, kind of that grace element, you know, um, where it's like, well, I know that it's God doing it, but I have to do all these, you know, I have to do all these things too. Um, I don't know if, if that makes sense because I know in my own recovery, there were, there definitely were times when I was doing all these efforts, but I thought that it was my actions that were going to keep me sober. And, right. uh, anyway, so yeah, thanks. Yeah. Good, great question, Scott. Appreciate it. Um, so I don't know if I have that answer. I think it's something I'm still working on. Um, I think there's some ideas, though, that come from the literature and um, that seem to make sense to me. Um, so the big book tells me that my disease is three parts, that there's a physical aspect, a mental aspect, and a spiritual aspect, that the physical aspect, according to Dr. Silkworth, is, is what he terms an allergy. And he's basically saying this, that my body reacts in an abnormal way to lust and that instead of the presence of lust creating a satiation or a sense of satisfaction, it creates a sensation of craving. Um, and that basically as long as I'm not bringing lust into my body, and this is where I think the topic of my talk comes into play a little bit, like um, – sobriety has to come first. So as long as I'm not bringing lust into my body, and I, and I also have to, this is where I think I have to, I've had to acknowledge that the disease of alcoholism is somewhat a little bit different than the disease of sexaholism because I don't know if I'm ever entirely lust-free. I mean, honestly, I don't know if I'm ever entirely lust-free. But there seems to be a threshold that, that is essentially the equivalent of being virtually lust-free. As long as I'm able to maintain virtual lust-freeness, um, the craving tends not to be there for me at least. Um, and the, and the, so the craving problem is just like a, if I don't bring it into my body, then the craving issue goes away. The second part is the mental aspect, which is the obsession of the mind. And this is something I've been really, really into recently because I've just been, for whatever reason, over the last, well, I'll say for whatever reason, but I know the reason. So I, I've been obsessing about, I've just had all kinds of obsessive thoughts about sex and sexuality and different scenarios and things coming in my head. Um, that's the part that I think I have to wait for God to remove from me. And in the big book, when I read the section about maintaining a fit spiritual condition, I kind of feel like maybe that's the part that relates to God removing the obsession a little bit. And that probably the reason I'm having the obsession is my spiritual condition hasn't been as fit as it needs to be or could be. Um, but the last part is that whole spiritual connection piece. And I think, again, the big book where it talks about the proper allocation of will is essentially working the steps, you know. And 
that's the part I kind of have 100% control over. It's like, how many meetings am I going to? How many phone calls am I making? Um, you know, am I reading? Am I doing my prayer and meditation? Am I doing it mindfully? Um, am, I, am I taking a daily inventory? And, um, you know, I was really struck by this as I was reading today, um, this little bit <clears throat> back into the big book. Um, let me find that spot again here. Because I, it really made me think about it. Um, give me one second. Here we go. So this, this was that bit I read earlier, but I'm going to read on. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve. Contingent, this is the contingent part, this is the my part part, on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Then it says, Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. So I've got the question I can ask myself every day. Did I carry the vision of God's will into all of my activities today? How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These are the thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. And I sort of think that for me that's like where it's at. Like, Every single thing I do, every day, all day long, am I really thinking? And by, by no means do I, am I here, by the way, guys. I do not make this. This is not a perfect picture of me. This is an aspiration. Um, but am I really thinking, is this next thing I'm going to do what God wants me to do? And is it the way God wants me to do it? And I think that as I do that, that's where I really do feel like the less problem is removed for me. I don't know if that helps, but that's kind of where my thoughts are. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you. And uh hate to stop at this point. Uh, we tried to stretch it as far as we could. But uh, thank you again, Jonathan, uh, for being our speaker. And thank you, everyone, for your shares and questions. And it is time for our seventh tradition, which states we have no dues or fees, but are self-supporting to our own contributions. Please visit www.sa.org to make a donation or get further information about SA. If you would like to donate on behalf of this meeting, please enter noon SA phone meeting in the description line. And before I go on, I also want to thank Paul from Tennessee for being our timekeeper today. Thanks, Paul. Finally, I would like to ask uh, Jonathan, if you would, uh, to close with the Lord's Prayer or a program prayer of your choosing after a moment of silence for those who still suffer in and out of these rooms. Yeah, sure. Why don't we just close with third step prayer? Third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them, and bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. Well, thank you, everyone, again, and uh, the formal part of our meeting, the last uh, part of our conference for today is uh, finished, and the parking lot is open. Remember, still, the rules that we have for meetings still apply in the parking lot, too. So thank you, everyone, and I wish you all a good 24 hours ahead, and thank you again, Jonathan, and everyone for attending today's conference. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.